Christ intervenes in the lives of these folks. And I pray that as you continue to not only hear these accounts of Christ's intervention and God's intervention in the lives of people in the Bible, but as you continue to hear of His intervention in the lives of some of our members, that you would be encouraged, that you'd be challenged to share your own story, to know that He has intervened in your life and that He desires to intervene more. As we come to chapter 9, we find Jesus healing a man that was blind at birth. The chapter itself is best understood when we understand what's going on in chapter 8 and chapter 10 of John. In chapter 8 of John, Jesus is having a discussion with the religious leaders of the day, and he's trying to explain to them who he is. And they're, they're having a very tense, a very uh, confrontational dialogue. And finally, in verse 58 of chapter 9, it says this, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So, in claiming that he was before Abraham, Jesus lays hold of being eternal But then he goes a step farther, and he uses that phrase, I am. He could have said, I existed. He could have said, I was there. But instead, he says, I am. And if you know your Bible, you know that when Moses meets God at the burning bush, and Moses asks the question, who should I say sends me? Who should I say I'm I'm speaking on behalf? God's response is, you tell them, I am sent you. That's the, that is the description, that is the name that God himself chooses to give himself. I am. And so when Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am, he is making it crystal clear to everyone who is listening, I am God. I, he is not saying, I am a prophet, I am a good teacher. He is making it clear I am God. Unless you think that that was a hidden meaning or that we are reading into it more than what was there, look at verse 59. It says, so they picked up stones to throw at him. Why do they do that? Because they know that he is saying, I am God, and that's blasphemy. And so they're like, we're going to get rid of this guy. And so that's what we have in chapter 8. Jesus' declaration that I am God. And then in chapter 9, he's going to show proof of that. And then in chapter 10, which you heard, uh, you heard the Reddings read just a second ago, he talks about being a good shepherd. And what chapter 8 does is it is the bridge between chapter, nine, chapter 8 and chapter 10. That Chapter 9 provides a bridge there. And so we best understand its context and what is happening by understanding that we are talking about Christ declaring his godship, Jesus saying, I am, and then understanding that he is the good shepherd. And sandwiched between those is a testimony of a man who was born blind, who Jesus touched. So hopefully by now you found chapter 9. If you would please stand with me, that we may honor the reading of God's word. We're going to read the entirety of chapter 9. So if in the middle you need to take a break, that's perfectly understandable. But let's read this together. John chapter 9, it says this. As he, Jesus, passed by, 
he saw a blind man from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is. Others said, No, but it's like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, The man called Jesus, made mud and anointed my eyes, and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and wash and received my sight. So they said to him, Where is he? And he said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, but he does not, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? And he said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We, do not, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God, know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. The thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you, want to be, do you also want to be his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. And the man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, you were born in utter sin. Would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they cast him out. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I might believe? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, 
and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, we come before your word as you desire to speak to us, as you desire to have a relationship with us, to intervene in our lives that we may know you, that we may know heaven, that we may know life and know life abundantly. Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for your miracles. Lord, may we see them and understand. May we hear of them and rejoice. Lord, may we know you and follow. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. The story of this blind man begins with a section that he himself would not have known of right away. As we enter into chapter 9, Jesus is leaving the confrontation with the religious leaders. And as they are leaving that confrontation and passing out of the temple, they pass by a blind man. They being Jesus and his disciples, they pass by this blind man. And the disciples ask a difficult question. They ask, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? The question itself shows us the common thinking of the day, which was that if something horrible happened to you, or if you suffered a, a physical deformity, or you, fit, you went through a trial or a, or a test of some sort, difficult times, that you must have done something wrong. That you must have done something bad in order to bring that upon you. There are some of us that in our society that still believe that. Like there's some that you will meet that believe in something called karma or they believe in superstition uh, and, or they just believe that God is vindictive and, and so they will think that if you have done something wrong that obviously, obviously that you will be punished for that or if you are um, going through something difficult that that is punishment. And certainly that's not just in the United States but around the world. However, when we look at Scripture, we see that that is not always the case. Jesus gives what I am calling the simplest complex answer. <laughs> he says, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus responds to this difficult question about where suffering comes from by saying, in this case, suffering has nothing to do with sin. It has everything to do with the glory of God. That question of where suffering comes from, by the way, is one of the hardest ones for, at times for us to answer. C.S. Lewis, I believe, is the one that says that suffering is the greatest obstacle for most people when it comes to their faith. And in Scripture, we see that there are three possibilities. We see that certainly there are times when suffering happens because of sin in our own personal lives. 
Paul talks about this in Corinthians when, he said, when he's talking about the observance of the Lord's Supper and that some have done that incorrectly. And he says, this is the reason that some of you are sick and even why some of you have died. So we see in Scripture at times there is a correlation between sin and punishment, sin and suffering. At other times, we see the explanation that sin happens because we live in a broken world. We know that Adam and Eve sinned, and everyone since then has sinned with the exception of Jesus Christ. And because of that, the world has been tainted. The world is broken. It's not the way that it should be. We see famine. We see disease. We see natural disasters. And so there are times that our sin and our suffering is brought on by global sin, not necessarily our own particular sin, but the sin of humanity. But there's a third category that we see throughout Scripture that sometimes suffering happens because God allows it in the life of an individual so that His name may be glorified. We see this maybe most clearly, not only here in John chapter 9, but we see it in the story of Job. Job has done no immediate sin that causes all the suffering that befalls him but rather we see the lifting of God's protection for a time so that God's name may be glorified. This is probably the hardest for us to wrap our brains around. Because we can understand if you do something wrong that you suffer. That that seems fair. We can even, for the most part, wrap our brains around that the world is a broken place, and so we suffer. But when we say that at times God allows, notice I'm not using the word causes, but allows suffering, well, that's a little harder for us to understand. But that's exactly what Jesus says is happening here. That this man was born blind so that the glory of God may be displayed in him. That causes us, necessitates us to have faith. I cannot fully explain to you this morning why God chooses to do this. Why, at times, He lifts His hand of grace off of an individual and causes them to go through something. Other than to say that if faith and trust were easy, they would be pointless. They would be, it would be pointless. Everybody would do it. So we have faith, even in the moments of suffering, we have faith and trust that God is good, that he is wise, and that he knows what he's doing. It's similar to a child with a parent. There are times when a child goes through something that they feel is suffering, something that they feel is difficult, and you will hear whining, and you will hear tears, and you will hear great moaning. But... For a good parent, they understand that though it may feel like suffering to the child, it is for their own good. Or it is for the good of a greater good that the child cannot possibly understand. So when we come to suffering, when we come to suffering, we pray, Lord, is there something that I need to ask for forgiveness of? Maybe maybe that be the case, but it may not. When we come to suffering, we may... Understand that the world is a broken place and so suffering is around us and at times will impact us. And there are other times that we must come to suffering 
and simply trust a good and loving God, that he has a bigger plan that we cannot possibly fully grasp. This sermon is not intended to explain all of that this morning, but, I won't, but it was important for us to touch on that. It's also a good reminder for us. This testimony and, and the question of suffering, it's a good reminder for us that when Jesus heals this man, when he puts his hands upon him, and when the man washes and can see, and now he has this great testimony of how God has intervened in his life in a way that no one else could, that while that testimony is personal in nature, he is the one that has been blessed, he is the one that was taken care of, he is the one that received the miracle, that it was not meant for him alone, but that it was meant that the glory of God would be displayed in him. You see, Jesus had just said, I am. He had just claimed deity. He had just claimed to be God. And now in chapter 9, he is showing proof of his claim. No one else could do this. There can be no doubt. So the miracle that happens in this man's life is personal in nature in that he receives it, but it is public in nature that it is meant to be shared it is meant to be known by everyone. It's a good reminder for us that your testimony, though it be private in its nature, in the nature that it was received by you, that you received the blessing, that you received the salvation, that you received the miracle, that you received the healing, that you received the provision, that it was meant to be shared, not held within you. So it's a good reminder for us this morning. It was not this man or his parents, but that the works of God may be displayed in him. Which brings us to this man's testimony, this man's story Christ of Christ's compassion. It's not that, this, that Jesus and his disciples merely come by and see this man. They, they don't just see him and then pass on. They don't just see him and talk about him and then keep going, as we are sometimes guilty of of seeing someone in need and having a conversation, maybe even seeing, having pity, maybe even compassion towards that individual state, maybe even having a conversation about them, but then never really acting. Jesus does not do that. Jesus instead heals him. Jesus healed him. Jesus got down in front of the man, met him on his level, and then he spits in the dirt and he kneads that dirt and that saliva together and he places it on his eyes. Not maybe the most appetizing thing to talk about right before lunch, but there it is. And he places it on the man's eyes and he tells him, go and wash in this specific pool. My guess is that he tells him the specific pool, not because the pool has powers in of itself, because he's still blind. He needs a big place that everybody knows that's easy to get to. It's not because it's something special about that place but he needs to be able to find it still. So he goes and he washes, and lo and behold, he washes the mud off of his eyes, and he can see. It's an incredible thing. And so people, he goes back to where he is from, where he is normally stationed, and people begin to question him. At first, they don't even believe that it's him. And why would you? Have you ever seen a man born blind? See? 
you would think the same as they do, that surely this is somebody else, right? And so they begin to doubt who he is, and he says, no, 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 it's me, it's me. It's George. I really can't see. And so they ask him, who did this? And he says, it's a man called Jesus. It was a man called Jesus. It's all he has for them. He's not able to pick him out of a crowd. He was blind when Jesus healed him. He's not able to show them where he went. He was blind when he went to the pool to wash. When he came back, he was gone. All he knows is the name of Jesus. That's all he can say. A man called Jesus healed me. And so it's interesting when they ask him, who is he? You go down a little bit farther to the questioning of the Pharisees, and they ask him, he healed you, so who do you say that he is? And he says what? He says he's a prophet. He says he's a prophet. Now here's another good spot for us to just stop for a second. You see, God intervenes in the life of everyone. Romans tells us that at the very least, that creation screams the testimony that there is a God. And yet many reject it. But what we see throughout our experience is that it's not just creation that screams, but often God intervenes in people's lives every day. He sends the rain. He sends blessing. He heals people that don't believe in Him. He he does things every day. He blesses us with children, with family, with marriages. Many know the presence of God in the terms that he has acted in their lives, and there are many who even know the name of Jesus, but they don't know him. They don't know who he really is. They just know they've heard the name. My my greatest fear, the thing that keeps me up at night, the thing that I pray for, more than anything else, is that there are those who even sit here in our congregation who they know the name of Jesus, but they don't have a relationship with Him. Because if you, you can know the name of Jesus and not be a believer. You can even believe in Him and not follow Him. That's what terrifies me. That's what I pray for. That those that are here, that come, maybe, maybe you come every Sunday, maybe you come every other Sunday, that you know the name of Christ, but you've never trusted Him. You don't follow Him. You're still living your life your way, having known the name of Christ, but never having a relationship with Him. That's where this man is right at this moment. He has experienced Christ. He's experienced the work of Jesus but he does not know him. He just knows his work. Well, they begin questioning him about this, and so eventually they bring him to the Pharisees. They bring him to the leaders, these religious leaders who Jesus in chapter 8 had just been having a discussion with. And there he gives his testimony. He tell, they ask him what happened, and he tells them, they, he ask, they ask him who did this, and he tells them. They ask him what he thinks, and he tells them. 
He gives them a testimony. He doesn't hide it. He doesn't try to cover it up. He doesn't keep quiet. He just tells them what has happened. But a funny thing happens. They resist the truth. They resist the truth. You see, this is the reality of us sharing our testimony about Jesus is that there will be many who resist the truth or flat out reject it. A few, uh, a few weeks ago, we did the story of the woman at the well. It's a wonderful story. The woman meets Jesus at the well. He tells her about her life, things that he couldn't possibly have known unless he was God. She runs back into town, and she tells the townspeople, come and see this man who has told me everything I've ever done. And they walk out, and what is their testimony at the end of that story? They say, we now believe, not because of your testimony, but because we have seen with our own eyes, and now we know that this is the Savior of the world. It's an awesome thing. That's what we hope happens. We want to share our testimony and then for others to see Jesus for themselves and to believe. That's what we pray for. That's what we hope for. But the reality is is there will be many who reject it. Many who we tell our testimony to. Many who we share the truth of the gospel with who will frankly reject it. Here they rejected the miracle first. They rejected the miracle. They said that it was not the same person. They say that it's not the same guy. In fact, they go to the point of calling in the man's parents so that they can identify him and say, Is this man, was this man really blind from birth? Because otherwise, they would not believe. Why? Because if a miracle happened, then they've got to deal with it. If a miracle happened, then something is going on here that they have to acknowledge And so they reject the miracle. There will be times when you share your testimony that people will reject the miracle. Whether it's your salvation or whether it is a miracle that God's done in your life or a provision that he's made, they will reject it. They will try to claim it's something else. When that doesn't work, they reject the miracle worker. When it's evident, when it's plain as day that they can no longer reject that a miracle has happened, then they reject the miracle worker. They say that Jesus is a sinner. Their basis for that is he has done work on the Sabbath. Now, if you go back to the Old Testament, we see clear guidelines on what, that on the Sabbath you are to rest, that that is a day of worship, that it's a day of reflection on God. The Pharisees had added 39 degrees of work or or areas of work that you could not do on the Sabbath. This is not Old Testament. This is their making up things. One of those is that you could not knead bread. You couldn't knead bread to make bread. Okay, You couldn't knead dough. Sorry, sometimes it naturally flows, and sometimes you get to the end of that sentence, and you're like, this is all I got for you. But you couldn't knead, okay? And so what they, claim, what they are claiming is because he needed saliva and dirt to make mud that he has broken the Sabbath. That's their claim. Okay, that's what, they are, that's what they're going after here. So they say, because he has worked on the Sabbath to heal a man, then he is a sinner. He has broken the law. But had he broken the law? No. He had broken their own cultural expectations. He had broken their rules. Be like if someone, heaven forbid, in our church played cards. I don't know of anybody here that does that. But if they did... They would not have broken the law of God. They would have been broken the law of man. 
So they, he, they say he's a sinner because they, he's broken the law of man as they define it. And so they try to reject him as a miracle worker. I love what this guy says. He says, this is an amazing thing. This is amazing. That you think a guy that is a sinner could open a man's eyes. He says, no one's ever heard of that. No one's ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a blind man that was born that way. No one's ever heard of God listening to someone who doesn't obey him. No one's ever heard of that. That's, this is mind-blowing that you would think this. A child understands this. And so he begins to testify. Yes, writer, you, you understand this. A child understands this. And so now they can no longer reject the miracle, and they can no longer reject the miracle worker. So now they reject the blessed. We don't like to think about this, and we certainly don't want this to happen, which is why many of us don't testify, because we don't want to be rejected. We don't want someone to not only deny what God's done in our life, to not only deny our God, but we most certainly don't want them to deny us. But that's what they do. They hear him, and especially after he chides them about, this is amazing, how can you think this way? They say, who are you to teach us? Get out. They cast him out, it says there, towards the end of chapter 9. There are going to be times that when you tell your testimony that people will reject not only the miracle, not only the God that you serve, but they're going to reject you. Because your mere presence in their life is a problem. Your mere presence in their community is a problem. Because if the miracle really happened, and there really is a miracle worker, and if you're evidence of that, then they've got a decision to make. Jesus tells his disciples on multiple occasions that this should be expected. Luke 10, 16, before he sends the disciples out two by two, he says, the one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. He warns them, this is what's going to happen. John 15, 18, he says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. We want desperately to be the woman at the well who shares her testimony and everybody comes running out and everybody accepts and we pray that that happens. And it does happen. It does happen. But we should also be prepared that sometimes they're going to reject it all. Know that that is not unexpected. Know that that's normal. Know that we continue on because we do not want to be like this man's parents. You notice what this man's parents do? They're called to give testimony, and they say, yeah, that's our son. Yeah, he was born blind. Uh, but as for the rest of it, go ask him. He is of age. I don't know about you, but I, there's a little part of me that sees my own parents in this. They are great God-fearing people. I love them, but I could, I, there's just a little part of me that sees my mom and dad going, go ask him. He's of age. Go talk to him. <laughs> If you want the story, you go talk to him. Now, why, why do his parents say that? They say it because they're more afraid of people than they are of God. We need to know that we're, there's a potential for us being rejected. 
But we need to know that when they reject us, they're really rejecting him. And we need to, but we need to make a decision now. Do we fear people or do we fear him? Do we care more for the love of people or do we care more for the love of God? We need to make that decision. The story continues, and we'll try to go through this quickly. This man is kicked out, but his testimony continues. It says, when the man was kicked out, Jesus hears about it, and he goes back for him. Jesus finds the man. Now, Jesus could have continued on. After all, these these men, these these so-called teachers of Israel, these Pharisees, they had just had a major confrontation. They had just tried to stone him. Jesus could have wanted to get as far away from that as possible, and that would have been understandable, but that's not what happens. Jesus goes back to find the man who had been rejected because of his testimony. He goes back and finds him. Not only does he find him, but Jesus invites the man to really see. It's interesting what he says here. Jesus heard that he had, they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered them, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. I think it's very interesting that he says, you have seen him. This man that was born blind, that had never seen anything in his entire life, he says, you're looking at him. You've had a miracle in your life, and you're looking at him. Jesus is inviting the man not to just see with his physical eyes, not just to experience a miracle of physical proportions, but for the man to see with his soul the Savior of the world. To experience a much greater miracle. To go from a guilty man before, the, before a holy God to an innocent one. He says, you're looking at him. He says the man believed and he worshipped. And then immediately on the cusp of this, we see good versus bad shepherds. We see it in chapter 10. Jesus begins to compare himself to these so-called religious leaders of the day. And he says, look, I am the good shepherd. I care about my people. I go for them. I protect them. I call them. I am going to lay my life down for them. These other guys, these other guys don't care. These other guys just want what's best for them. They come to steal and to destroy They do not know where they're going. So in the life of this man, we see the good shepherd that comes back. This morning, do you see yourself in the blind man? Are you in the midst of trial, of temptation, or test? Do you have scars from life? Those wounds that happen to all of us because we do indeed live in a broken world? Have others rejected you? Have others pushed you out? Maybe because you're different. Maybe because you have testified about him. And they don't want to deal with that. Then this morning, the the man that was born blind, and all of Scripture calls you to come and see. Come and see a God who is a good Shepherd, who loves his people, 
who cares for them, who's died for them. Come and see a God who never leaves or forsakes. No matter the trial you go through, no matter the tests that you are in the midst of, no matter your temptation, no matter the scars, no matter who has rejected you, know a God who stands by, who wants to walk with you through those things. Know a God who calls you to come. He desires for you to have a relationship with Him. Not just to know His name. Not to just experience His blessings from time to time. But to truly know Him. We've talked about it before, but that is not hard. We overcomplicate it sometimes. But in reality, to know Him, to start that relationship with Him, it means that we must first confess and understand that we have been living life our own way and we come to Him and say, please forgive me. I know that I have made mistakes. I know that I've been trying to do this on my own. Please forgive me. We believe in Him. We believe that He is, is God. We believe that He did die for our sins, that He paid the penalty for us. We believe that He rose again and defeated death on our behalf, that we may have eternal life. That someday we too will experience resurrection. We believe and then we make commitment. It's not enough to just know the name of Christ. It's not enough just to say that that's a good concept. We must follow Him. To read His Word. To know how He desires us to live and to do it. We make that commitment as, as Him, as our Lord, our boss. This morning we pray that you would come and see. And as always, as we have talked about these last few weeks, we call you to testify. You see, this man did not remain silent over what God had done in his life. He knew his story. Do you know yours? It doesn't have to be your whole life story. We heard this morning of how God is intervening in a life right now. What is your story? How can you share it? Who are you sharing it with? This man, as he goes back home, he says, No, it's me! I'm the one that God has changed. Who are you sharing with and who are you praying for? As we've said already multiple times, many people know the name of Jesus. Many people believe even that somehow He is there, but they have no relationship with Him. Who is it, who is it that you're not only telling, but you're praying, Lord, change their heart? I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up and we're just going to have a time of response this morning. Jesus calls this man to a time of response. He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man says, show me. <laughs> he says, you're looking at him. I'm the one speaking to you. And the man has a choice in that moment to believe or to walk away. This morning, as you hear the word of God, of His desire to intervene in your life, of His desire to have a hand in it, of His desire to have a relationship with you, this morning you have a decision to make. What will it be? Let's pray. Father, we come before You, and as Lord, we come to this time of response. Lord, I ask, Lord, that You would be pounding upon our hearts Your Word to know that You desire us that you are the good shepherd 
who has laid down his life for us so that we may have life eternal. Lord, that we would see our own testimony and understand that that while, yes, we have received great blessing, that while we have received an incredible story that you have written in our lives, Lord, that that has always been meant to be shared. Lord, may we be faithful with that. Father, I pray, move for your glory. We ask this in your name. Amen.